0: Bad Karlsson Karlsson, Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Hoy, Karlsson Carlsson. Ingen faktiskt, Ingen Annan Carlson. Carlson. så bra som mig. Carlson. 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 Carlson.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys' own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Very happy to be recording an early episode this week. Recording on Saturday, normally record on Sunday. I'm Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, Brian Com.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello, Elon. You just stole my thunder. I thought I'd be the person who got to reveal that it's Saturday morning this week instead of Sunday morning, which means that there's going to be a lot of Saturday night action that we're going to cover throughout the week in the patron Facebook group and next week on the show as well.
0: Yeah, but you know, it doesn't even really matter because we have so much to talk about for this episode. You know, the reason why we decided at first to always do our episodes on Sunday was because then we'd be able to cover all the action on Saturday and that would give us our content. But lately, there's just been so much going on, so many injuries, lots of interesting players on hot streaks, slumping players, so we don't need to wait the day. Let's get into it, Brian. But before we do... Let's talk about dobberhockey.com, the best site, the best fantasy hockey site in the world, basically. You can't go anywhere else to find what you could find at Dobber Hockey. All the articles are so on point. You've got starting goalies, line combos, all that standard stuff. The player profiles are amazing. They have a search bar now. You could just search for the player and you see every place where they've been mentioned. Their player profile is so all encompassing. Everything you need dabberhockey.com, check it out.
1: Yeah, that search function at the top right-hand corner of dabberhockey.com is a great place to go, the first place to go, actually, when you want to look up a player. If you are the sort of person like me who, for years, you know, always loads, like, six different tabs on, say, Rotoworld and Yahoo and Hockey Reference and War on Ice for the same player, you can get a lot of that info all in one spot just by searching their name, at Dauber Hockey. For example, you type in Jeff Skinner, immediately you see Jeff Skinner's points production for the year. You see the most recent article about Jeff Skinner, which was a cage match between him and Adam Henrique, a classic Dauber Hockey series. It's all there over at DauberHockey.com. Have a look.
0: Okay, we'll get back to Jeff Skinner a little later in the show. We mentioned him last week. I hope you picked him up because if you did, you got a lot of goals out of him, including a hat-trick yesterday. But Brian, let's start with injuries. That's the first fancy hockey headline of the week, and there are a lot of them and some pretty significant ones. Let's start at nets, though. In Columbus, Sergei Bobrovsky. Oh, so brutal because he was doing so well after that horrible start. He finally was reminding owners why they picked him so high in the draft in the first place. He brought his save percentage up to 916, which is incredible considering he was well below 900 for the first few weeks of the season. But now he's on injured reserve with a groin injury. It's going to be apparently like three weeks, so pretty much till the end of the year you're going to have to go with another goalie if you're a Sergei Bobrovsky owner. And one option is, of course, to just go with the Columbus backup, Curtis McElhenney, who we assume is going to take the reins, but I don't know if that's a very good option. He came in to relieve Bobrovsky when he got injured against LA, promptly let in two goals on seven shots and lost that game. Then a couple days later against Winnipeg, not too much better. Let in five goals, 853 save percentage. So not a great start for Curtis McElhenney taking over from Bobrovsky. Brian, is McElhenney someone that people can rely on? Do you think that he'll do better? Or is he basically like a Kemper from last week who we said you shouldn't rely on?
1: Before I answer, I just want to settle anyone down who was as alarmed as I was, Elon, when you said that Bobrovsky, out for the year, you're going to have to find another solution. We are, of course, approaching the end of the calendar year, which is what you meant. Hopefully Bobrovsky is back and healthy in January. And my answer to your question, well, you asked me this, actually, for our joint team, You said, Brian, should we add McElhaney quick? We need to make the decision fast. And of course, I didn't get back to you in time. But my answer when I did was no. I don't feel like he is going to help a whole lot of fantasy teams out there unless you are struggling to make your minimum starts. Let's say Carey Price got injured and Mike Condon was already snapped up by somebody else and you've been slow on the trigger for all the other guys. In that case, go ahead and take him. But Columbus was winning games in large part because of Bobrovsky's fantastic play. And McElhaney is just not going to provide that level of goaltending to the team. So while he's in, I'm not expecting a ton of wins. I'm not expecting a good save percentage. I'm not expecting a whole lot except a body on the ice. And of course, it's worth mentioning that Columbus did call up Eunice Corpusalo from Lake Erie of the AHL. So far in the AHL this year, though, he has a 928 save percentage in 11 games. Seems like there's a lot of like 920-something save percentage goalies in the AHL over the last couple years, but he would be one of them. It's not a ton to go on, but maybe he gets a look, and of course, Yonis is the son of famed Finnish forward Yari Corpusalo, who played a 20-year Ooh. career in the SM Liga and a few years in the DEL. And also are you me this? <laughs> one year in the QMJHL with the Granby Bisons or probably the Granby Bison.
0: All right, Brian, get off of Wikipedia. Do you think that Corpusalo would be worth rostering now if you want to go really deep and you don't think McElhenney could do it?
1: You know, if you're desperate, I would... Probably look at him as a spot start opportunity if you don't have much of a budget and you just want to sneak a start onto your team and you know that he's playing, then sure, why not? But otherwise, I don't think he's anybody that you should be having on your team on a daily basis.
0: Man, if you look at Curtis McElhenney's career stats, he's been in the league for a long time. I only started hearing about him, I guess, last year when Bobrovsky got injured or maybe a couple of years ago. But yeah, 905 career save percentage. So he's never really been too good. I guess that's why I hadn't heard of him. He was even on the Ottawa Senators for seven games. I didn't realize. Did you know that, Brian?
1: Yeah, I did know that. And I know that he also was the backup for Mika Kiprasov for several years, which is why you probably hadn't heard of him before, because really, at that time, nobody knew the name of Mika Kiprasov's backup.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Okay, another goalie is injured. Hopefully not as long-term as Bobrovsky, and I guess not as big of a hit since he hasn't been doing that great anyways. But we should mention Mike Smith on Arizona, missed yesterday's game with a lower body injury. We still don't know how long he'll be out. In the meantime, we're going to be talking about Anders Lindback, maybe getting some starts.
1: Nope. don't even ask the question. I'm just saying no. We've been through this before. We've been through it when he was on Dallas, when he was on Buffalo. It's not happening. Stay away if you have any sort of respect for your save percentage.
0: Well, if you did decide to put Lynn back in yesterday against Minnesota, you were rewarded because he actually had a pretty good game. He got the win, only one goal against, 964 safe percentage. Who knows if he'll be able to keep it up. Today, Arizona plays again against Carolina. Maybe they'll go with their French understudy, Louis Deming.
1: Yeah, I think either goaltender probably gives them the same odds. You know, I forgot for a little while that Tampa signed Anders Lindback, hoping that he would be the guy who could step up and take the number one position, and it was like an Antero Nidamaki situation. There's a blast from the past. Also, Lindback's game against Minnesota, I actually saw a tweet that had a graph in it from Bob Spencer at hashtag hockey, and he was showing where Minnesota shots came from that game. And a lot of them came from the periphery. They had a lot of shots, but they weren't really coming from any of the so-called high danger zones. So not to take anything away from Anders Lindsbach's great start fantasy-wise, but I'm taking maybe a little bit away from that start.
0: <laughs> all right it's a tough times right now if you're an owner of Bobrovsky because we don't really have a good alternative for you at the moment tweeted us for sure if you have some goalies you're choosing between we're happy to help you decide at keeping Carlson Brian let's move on to the next injury I guess we have to talk about Chris Letang what a bummer because I remember at the start of the year when he was asked you know what his goals are he was saying he just wants to play a full season it's not looking like that's gonna happen he already had missed a couple of games and then he came back to play against Carolina but then he missed the game against LA yesterday it's apparently a different injury according to the coach and we don't know yet what it is or what the timeline is for when he'll return but it's definitely a downer if you're a Latang owner and you were just hoping for a healthy season it's starting to happen hopefully he'll be okay overall he's had a decent season 14 points in 25 games which for a defenseman is pretty good maybe not up to snuff for Chris Latang, but a lot of the Penguins have been struggling this year but this does open up a roster spot on Pittsburgh's
1: number one power play which should be potent, you would think, right? Right? Yeah, you'd think so, and we definitely thought so. Right now, that power play is ranked 26th in the league at 15.6% success rate. You've got Philadelphia just a couple spots ahead, though, and they generally have a pretty good power play, too, so there's still hope maybe that Pittsburgh can figure it out, but if they can, it's going to have to come with an unfamiliar face manning the point on that first power play. And right now, that face is a very unfamiliar David Warsowski, who spent most of last game on the first power play unit, quarterbacking the four forward, one defenseman configuration. It did not work out, at least that game. Pittsburgh did not score a power play goal against LA. So we'll see what happens next. My original thought would have been that it would be Ole Mato, but he was down on the second unit. And David Worsofsky, by the way, if you're wondering who is this guy? Well, in 13 AHL games so far this year, he had 6 points, half point per game in the AHL as a defenseman, and he has nothing in 5 games so far at the NHL level. Pittsburgh is going to have to figure something out because like they are way beyond their grace period. 5 games in, 10 games in, 15 games in, we were like give them time. They're figuring it out. They're trying a new system or something. The coach is going to make adjustments, new personnel, blah, blah, blah. Now, I think we're past the point where they can be making any legitimate excuse for not having fixed this goal scoring problem that they're having. And a big reason for it, has been that defense, and with the tank out, that reason is just being exacerbated. You know, everybody wants to know what's wrong with Crosby, what's wrong with Kessel, what's wrong with Hornqvist, what's wrong with everybody, and what's wrong with them is that they aren't capable of sending a breakout pass to themselves or taking the puck end-to-end every single time. That depends want to move the puck up the ice. There was good insight from former podcast guest Dmitry Filipovich of Hockey Cast, and it was shared by Brendan in our Facebook group recently. And it was about what's ailing the Penguins. It's from a couple weeks ago, but it's still definitely relevant, and it gave two reasons that I agree with. The first is that their system is still built upon a defenseman, giving, like, a home run pass to one of the forwards who can then come in with a lot of speed and momentum into the offensive zone and make a play happen. Too often, those big passes are getting tipped by somebody on the way or are wobbling, or they're off target, or they're just, like, bouncing off the boards in the wrong place. And that ties into the second reason, which is that... Their personnel is just not there to manage it. If you look at their decor right now, you see Worsowski, Mata, Dumoulin, Lovejoy, Scuderi, and Cole. We talked about Ian Cole earlier in the season, not as anyone like who had high scoring potential, but at least was doing a little bit in terms of peripherals. But none of these guys have any sort of pedigree or acumen in terms of making the passes that the Pittsburgh system seems to be desperate to rely on. And meanwhile, you've got guys like Adam Clendenning not playing and Derek Pouliot still in the minors. And you wonder how much longer are they going to let these six guys flounder around before finally giving in and playing, who many people believe are upgrades on about four of those guys, especially now that Chris Letang is out.
0: Yeah, normally when you're talking about a team having weak defense, you think you're going to be saying that they're letting in a lot of goals and you maybe don't want to have their goalie. But flurry has been fine I guess it's like the defense is letting the offense down and that's a big problem and now that we're dealing with the Latang injury do you want to take a David Worsowski or maybe an Ole Mata who actually has had a nice little run of points going even though he's not on the top power play or is it time to kind of just let go of this idea that you want to have a top power play Pittsburgh defenseman
1: it seems obvious that you would want one of these guys and if you have like just a totally empty withering roster spot then you should But at the moment, I see them probably trying a few different options there. I don't think there's one player that you're going to be able to pinpoint and say, yeah, he's going to get the next five games on that top unit. So in that case, I don't think you really should try and throw a dart and add the right defenseman. Maybe Mata, but that goes beyond power play production. And hopefully we might start to see some kind of a shift in how this team is managed now that it's going to be all the more necessary but there definitely is some tension in Pittsburgh right now. You can tell between the GM and the coach. The GM said earlier, you know, don't know why Dylan Sprung isn't playing more often. We didn't keep him in the NHL as an 18-year-old to sit in the press box the whole time. Like, this isn't a good idea. And so finally, Dylan Sprung gets into the lineup, plays five minutes and one second, just seven shifts, which is nonsense. They're doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason as to why the Penguins are icing the personnel they are right now. I'm not sure when they're going to break out of anything. So that bodes poorly for the forwards, even more so now that Latang is out. And in terms of adding a defenseman, I still wouldn't necessarily rush to get anybody. The one person who I might be interested in, if he does get the call, is Derek Pouliot.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, it is worth mentioning Oli Mata has four points in his last four games, and he played big minutes yesterday in Latang's absence, so he's also someone I guess you can look at. I guess with all of these questions about how Pittsburgh is using their roster, that does give me some hope, as someone who's still hanging on to Patrick Hornquist, that maybe the coach can get fired or something could happen to get him back in the top six, because Hornquist actually, on the third line, you know, hasn't been so, so bad. He had a goal and an assist a couple of games ago against Colorado, five shots yesterday against LA. Still holding out hope for him. Maybe I'm stupid, but all right, let's move on. There's still more injuries to discuss. This has been a rough week. Really rough, actually, if you're a Logan Couture owner, because you probably were getting excited about his imminent return when we were seeing that he was going to be coming back to play against Calgary and hopefully you didn't drop someone to move him off IR and then you had to now move him back on IR and hopefully get that guy back. It's a terrible situation. He just underwent an operation to close a bleeding artery in his thigh and it's out indefinitely. Like that's not the kind of thing you want to read. So this is pretty bad if you're a local Couture owner, Pretty good, I guess, if you are a Joel Ward owner, because that just gives him an opportunity to stay in that top six where he has really been thriving. So I would say if you were worried about Joel Ward's role being diminished with Couture returning, now I guess you could hold on to him a bit longer. He is also on that top power play with Couture out, or at least he has been. But yeah, if you're a Couture owner, that really sucks. Hopefully you just kept him on your IR and didn't bring him off.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of people making some tough decisions when Couture came back, and it was very exciting because they lost him. Early on in the season, then he comes back. What a huge bummer that he looks to be out for an indefinite amount of time right now. And I was personally hoping that his return might help solidify the San Jose top six a little bit. I don't know if this is unreasonable, but, you know, I looked at Joe Thornton's numbers, and I thought that maybe, you know, having a fuller, more capable top six would let him maybe get back to doing what he's doing, even though it has really nothing to do with his line, as he's probably going to keep playing with Joe Pavelski and whatever winger keeps rotating on their side. The good news, though, like you said, Elon, is that Marlowe and Ward have both been rolling all year without Couture in the lineup, 22 points apiece, so that's going to continue. And I imagine Donskoy or Hurdle are going to keep getting top six minutes every so often with Couture remaining out of the lineup.
0: Yeah, you're talking about who gets to play with Marlowe and Ward. It's still been Milker on that top line, though he hasn't been producing very much, so probably not too fantasy-relevant. And if you're a couture owner and you want to find someone to sympathize with you, why not call up the Tyler Johnson owner in your league because he's going through the same thing. He was out for a long stretch, came back, got injured again, came back, and now it's looking like he's day-to-day, once again, already not even having such a great season, only 11 points in 23 games. And it's unclear whether he'll play today. I don't know what's happening with Tyler Johnson, but that's a similarly frustrating situation, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and until he comes back, we don't really have a sense of whether or not the triplets can get back on track. We know Palat, who's come back, hasn't done anything since he's come back. But he has gotten a couple games under his belt getting back up to game speed. And really, Palat and Kucherov and Johnson are sort of in this... Purgatory, I feel like, until they all are healthy and playing together again. Although Kucherov has been doing all right for himself, finally, lately. He's upgraded his pace from being just yuck to, okay, I guess I'll take that with five goals and two assists for seven points in his last 10 games played. Though all those points have come in the space of three particular multi point efforts. So in his last 10 games, He only has hit the score sheet in three of them, but they've been big nights.
0: Yeah, Palat's been back for one game so far, and he played on that triplets line with Johnson and Kucherov, which was kind of exciting to see the band back together. But now with Johnson out, who knows what'll happen. Nothing for Palat like you said so far. Brian, I've got to tell you, all this injury talk, it's kind of depressing me. Let's move on to some players on hot streaks. Maybe we come back to some of the other injuries at the end of the show or something. Let's talk about the Calgary Flames, who finally are scoring some goals. And all of these Flames players that you drafted, that you've been disappointed in all season, they are producing big time. And in particular, let's talk about Mark Giordano, who a lot of people were really leaving for dead. He wasn't even on the top power play for a stretch. Wasn't getting many points. A lot of people were thinking of even dropping him in their leagues, which is crazy considering the pace he was on last year before he got injured. But if you were able to hold on to Giordano and weather that cold stretch, you have been greatly rewarded right now because he's got six points in his last six games. He's playing huge minutes. He's been taking tons of shots on goal. He's giving you some blocks. He's giving you some hits. He is the player that you drafted right now. If somehow he's still a free agent in your league, if someone dropped him and you can get him, obviously it's a no-brainer to pick him up. That's probably not the case. I just want to say congrats to you if you were able to hold on. And you deserve this production.
1: You do deserve this. So congratulations. And the better news for you is that going forward, things should be looking pretty well for Giordano. His underlying numbers have really been creeping up to normal levels ever since Brody returned to the lineup. And he's looking good both on the ice in his play and in the spreadsheets so to speak. And it's very reasonable to expect a 40-point pace from him going forward. And of course, that's a low end, because in all honesty, that barely needs to be said that he can put up a 40-point pace. But I understand that some owners might need some reassurance after seeing their early round pick just sink them week after week so far this season. So if you held on this far, way to go. If he's somehow been dropped in your league, Make your move. There's no reason Mark Giordano should be a free agent. And Elon, you mentioned all of Calgary doing good things lately, and it's true. Let's set on the blue line. You've got Dougie Hamilton on a four-game point streak. TJ Brody's on a five-game point streak. Dennis Wideman is also on a four-game point streak. So you have four blue liners who are all putting up point streaks of three games or more. And then up front, you've got Sean Monahan on a four-game point streak. He has three goals and four assists for seven points in that span. And Johnny Gaudreau has 11 points in his last nine games played. And Yuri Hoodler, well, uh, sorry, sorry to the Hoodler owners who were probably thinking, "What is there something I didn't see?" No, no, we're sorry about what's been happening to him. Just one goal in his last 14 games played, and he's missed time, like, here and there since that last goal. He actually has not scored a goal since October the 30th, and lately he hasn't even been playing with Goudreau and Monaghan, his line mates from last season. He's been playing with Sam Bennett and Marcus Granlund. I guess maybe Coach is hoping that he's going to get those two going the same way he was able to ignite Monaghan and Goudreau last year so right now we have good old David Jones winging it on the top line but he's not doing a whole heck of a lot there so I wouldn't necessarily be rushing to grab him he is not one of those hot flames recently
0: Yeah, you'd think being on a line with these guys who are on these great streaks, you'd be able to get something, but Jones only has two assists in his last eight games, so I wouldn't expect too much from him, like you say. So, Brian, of all of these Flames players who are now on these amazing streaks, which would you say is, like, the most unsustainable? Like, if you wanted to sell high on a Calgary Flame right now... Do you think that they're all going to be able to keep this up? Or is there anyone in particular who you're zoning in on as this guy is definitely not going to keep it up? And if you could trade him right now, it would be a smart thing to do.
1: I've been saying it for a while, but Dennis Wideman would be the guy that I have the least confidence in. And you might think Dougie Hamilton, maybe, maybe Dougie Hamilton is going to slow down. Like he's not going to continue this point streak for very long. But I do think it's a promising sign to see him starting to do something In a Flames uniform, he's still not necessarily seeing the best shower of power play time, so he's going to have to keep doing this at even strength, but perhaps he can start working his way. I don't know if he can ever get a turn on that top power play unit, but at least he might be able to be solidified in that second power play unit role. And Dennis Wideman is just, I don't know. I don't know. I guess he can keep putting up points. Maybe I have to take <laughs> it back. I feel like all of the guys who are putting up points can keep doing it. Obviously not necessarily at the paces that they're going, but it's nice to see, you know, I feel like Calgary has five or six guys who should be able to consistently put up points and they are the ones who are doing it right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point, we have to acknowledge Dennis Weidman had 56 points last year as a defenseman. He's got 14 points in 28 games this year, which isn't too bad for a defenseman. That's a half point per game pace, so I think he should at least be good for 40 points. But yeah, if you're expecting more like 50 like last year, maybe then you're hoping for too much. And it is a time to sell now that he's on this nice stretch.
1: Yeah, he's been an interesting guy over the course of his career. He was generally in on like 25 30 35% of his team's goals while he's on the ice. But the two years prior to this one, he was above 40% in both of those, which is pretty high for a defenseman. Right now, he's rolling at about 37.5%, which is in line with his time in Calgary. It would be pretty incredible if he could keep that up for another full season. I won't write him off completely, but that is a reason. He just seems to be able to be getting in on his team's offense whenever they score with him on the ice. But it's worth pointing out, like last year, he had 21 assists, only seven of those were primaries. He has only two primary assists at even strength so far this year and that's where you know the sort of noise comes into play and you're wondering how much of this is luck when a player gets credited with an assist.
0: Yeah it's an interesting thing to look at whether the person's points are coming from a lot of secondary assists because that can indicate that the pace is unsustainable. Okay Brian let's move on to another team and I guess we have to go back to Carolina and I say back because we already talked about them last week. But we have to mention, just like Calgary, Carolina's got a bunch of players right now that are giving you points. Jeff Skinner with the hat-trick yesterday, that puts him at six goals in his last four games. And he's always been a guy who was taking a lot of shots, and you would have thought, well, at some point he's got to get some goals to go along with these shots, and they've come in bunches right now. Then you've got Elias Lindholm having points in his last three games. Eric Stahl finally getting back on the score sheet consistently. Justin Falk just is amazing. Let's not even talk about him. Brian, I guess the people I want to get your thoughts on the most are Jeff Skinner. And I want to know, is he approaching the status that he used to have a couple years ago where he was like a must-own as a guy who took a lot of shots and could score a lot of goals? Do you think that he could get back to that? And is this an indication of things to come or is this going to fall off? Then also Victor Rask is someone, he's the first line center on this team. He's been having an amazing year. He's got seven points in his last seven games. He's got 20 points in 29 games overall. Is he someone that people should be finally adding to their rosters? Because he does so well, but yet he's not owned in that many leagues.
1: Well, to put just how snake bitten Jeff Skinner has been into perspective, he has six goals in his last four games. And with those six goals, his shooting percentage is now up to like 13%, which is still like a fairly reasonable shooting percentage to have. Last year, of course, it was just under 8%. The year before, when he had his 30-goal season, it was at 12%. So I feel like this is reasonable for him with the amount of shots he takes. He has 82 shots on goal so far this season, which is less than what we're used to seeing from him. Like Usually we should expect at least about three per game, but right now, two and a half three per game is pretty good from somebody who's been having a share of struggles. If you want to add him, this is probably your last chance to sneak him onto your team, but I'm making no warranties that you're going to still want him in your lineup two weeks from now. That whole Carolina lineup is really rolling right now. Maybe he's just getting some of that magic on him too, but at least there is some reason for hope with Jeff Skinner. If you want to take a flyer on him, Well, I suppose two days ago was probably the time, but today could still be an okay time to do that. As for Victor Rask, Elon, you mentioned that he has been the top-line center. In the last three games, actually, he has been playing on, well, sort of the second line, centering jeff skinner and philip DiGiuseppe, whose name looks really good on the back of a uniform and rask has been sort of a steady as she goes sort of player for a while now he's quietly put up 20 points so far this year in 29 games and he's on his little three game point streak as well with five assists in that span five shots on goal too he doesn't take a ton of shots on net But that's okay if it's not really his thing. He does still see power play time. In fact, three of those last five assists have come with the man advantage. I'm into him as a depth roster option for sure.
0: Yeah, I guess I was living in the past. It was Rask with Eric Stahl and Elias Lindholm last week. This week, it looks like Christopher Stieg, who was scratched for a game, he's back on the top line. He had that one good game against Arizona where he had a goal and assist. Aside from that, not too much.
1: And before we move on, Elon, let's talk about all the point streaks happening in Carolina. You've got Elias Lindholm on a three-game point streak. He has points in eight of his last 10 games. You have Eric Stahl on a three-game point streak. Jeff Skinner, like we said, has six goals in his last four games. Justin Falk, of course, has a three-game point streak with three goals and two assists in that small point streak. And Ron Hainsey, maybe the most surprising points streak of them all. He's up to four games right now.
0: And yeah, Brian, I wanted to ask you about Ron Hainsey. He's got six points in his last six games now. And as a defenseman, he's also providing a good number of blocks. He had four blocks against Anaheim yesterday. Generally, he's been good for two or three in most games. So if you're in a league that counts blocks and you would have maybe been looking at Hainsey anyways, do you think there's any chance that he could put up some points moving forward? Like he doesn't play on the power play, but he is getting these points now. Can we expect like a point every couple of games from Ron Hainsey or is that expecting like way too much?
1: So I was really wrangling with this question myself. At the start of this week, I was deciding whether to add Elias Lindholm or Ron Hainsey, and either one would have made me happy. I ended up going with Lindholm. Hainsey, of course, offers peripherals, but longer term, uh, I don't really have a ton of faith. His 11 points this season have actually already surpassed his 81-game total last year of 10 points. He had 15 points the year before. 13 the year before, 10 the year before, 16 the year before. You can see where I'm going with this. He is not necessarily an offensive powerhouse. His career high has been 34 points, and that was when he was sort of the only guy in Columbus to man the power play. In fact, 23 of his 34 points that season came with the extra man. I think he's an interesting guy to watch, and why not add him on your team short term and see how long this lasts for? But if you're looking for him to have like a 30 or 35 point pace the rest of the year, I wouldn't hold my breath.
0: All right, fair enough. And Brian, let's go to another team that has a bunch of players that are on hot streaks. There's just some teams. I guess these players kind of come in bunches and we have to talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Some really interesting options here. First of all, hopefully... You listened to us early in the year when we were talking about Rasmus Ristolainen. He had that awesome hat-trick against Calgary, bringing him to 21 points in 29 games on the year, which is an insane pace for a defenseman. He's always been putting up lots of shots on goal. He's getting the top defense minutes in Buffalo, and this hat-trick really just shows his offensive potential. Love Rasmus Ristolainen.
1: Yeah, so you and I, Elon, have had this ongoing dialogue since, essentially, we drafted our teams about who's going to be the blue liner to own on Buffalo, and I am ready to concede. I was on the Cody Franson train, you were on the Line in train, and, like, you know, we both hopped back and forth a few times, but... Mm. Oh, are you good? <laughs> I'm just saying, not. Nah, I don't you- I don't necessarily agree. <laughs> you did. When Franson scored a goal on the power play, you were all of a sudden, oh, you might be right. Anyway... I think Ristolainen is the guy. We've had our eye on him since the end of last season. With the hat trick, he's not going to be under anyone's radar. Anymore, and he's likely already taken in your league. But I guess I hope this is the start of a long fantasy relevant career for Rasmus Ristolainen for sure.
0: Well, Brian, the question now is: Do you sell high? He just had a hat trick. You know, it reminds me of that time a couple years ago when Hurdle had his four goals, and it was just like, okay, everyone, you need to trade Hurdle right now because everyone thinks he's like the greatest guy ever. I wonder if you can now flip Ristolainen for one of these established elite defensemen. You know, like a Drew Doughty or I don't know. I'm just coming up with names off the top of my head, like. What do you think Rasmus Ristolainen's value is moving forward? You say that you've conceded that he's the number one guy to own in Buffalo, but what about overall? What do you see going forward? I don't think he's going to continue this pace of 21 points in 29 games, which would be like 60 points. Like, for example, Oliver ekman Larson has only 18 points in 29 games. Would you right now, if you had Ristolainen and it wasn't a league that counts plus minus, would you swap him for ekman Larson?
1: I would definitely prefer to have Oliver ekman Larson over Ristolainen, not to take anything away from what Ristolainen has been doing. Like, if you look at his shooting percentages and his on-ice shooting percentage, everything actually looks pretty reasonable. It's not anything crazy out of the loop that you wouldn't expect to continue. He is getting in on 60% of his team's points, and you heard me earlier talking about Weidman getting in on 40% was high. So we can probably expect less of the offense to run through Ristolainen going forward, although he has been part of generating those points with five of his 10 assists coming as primary assists so far this year. So yeah, I like the guy, but then again, if you can flip him for somebody who is like an actual 60-point defenseman or even like a 50-55-point 50, 50, defenseman, I would make that move. I would trade him for anybody who has done that sort of thing before.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's also on a similar pace this season. ekman Larson, 18 points in 29 games. I mentioned Drew Doughty; He's got 17 points in 28 games. They're both having great seasons. So yeah, maybe now's the time to see what you can get for Arista Again, you could tweet at us if you get an offer on the table. Ask us about that specific offer on Twitter and we'll let you know what we think. Or if you're a patron, you could always ask us on the Facebook group and ask all the rest of the patrons. You'll get lots of opinions there. But I was talking about Buffalo in general, and Ristolainen is not the only one on an amazing run right now. Ryan O'Reilly has been fantastic. Definitely the best player on the team. He's got 25 points now in 29 games, eight in his last seven. He's not available in your league. Someone who might be, though, is Sam Reinhardt, who we talked about a little while ago as someone who was getting an opportunity on the top line. And he has taken advantage. You know, he has five points in his last seven games, four of them goals. He's taking a good number of shots. Only owned in 7.4% of league Leagues on ESPN, and I definitely think he's someone worth rolling with if you have a roster spot on your team being used by someone who's not that good.
1: And I'm gonna throw out another name, Elon. You recognized earlier this year, and I recognized while I was doing research for this week's show. Jamie McGinn is on a very good run. He just finished a six game point streak. He now has seven points in his last 10 games played, but not only that, because I mean, we're not going to expect a career high point streak to come from him very often. But he is also in the top 40 in the NHL in hits. So if you need to collect some hits, along with a couple points here and there, Jamie McGinn might be your guy for comparison's sake. In 29 games played, Jamie McGinn has 5 goals and 8 assists for 13 points and 63 hits. Chris Kreider in 30 games has 5 goals and 9 assists for 14 points and the same amount of hits. Braden Chen, another player who often comes up in a point here and there and collecting hits conversation, is in the same neighborhood with 14 points and 62 hits on the season.
0: Yeah, that's a really good comparison. If you're in a league where a guy like Chris Kreider is valued, then why not take a shot at Jamie McGinn for a lot cheaper? And of course, if we're talking about players who could give you points and hits, how can we not mention Evander Kane since we're on Buffalo? Because he not only has six points in his last seven games, taking a ton of shots, but he had a nine-hit game against Vancouver. That's right, nine hits. (laughs) Generally, he's good for one or two, but he gave you nine on that day. So Evander Kane has just been fantastic since coming back from injury People ask us if they should trade for him. And it's like, I want to say yes, but I'm scared that he's going to get injured. So, you know, go for Evander Kane at your own risk. I really like him while he's healthy. He's also playing big minutes, which he never got in Winnipeg. He's over 20 minutes a game consistently. Six shots in each of his last two games. No points. But, you know, with all those shots, you'd expect the points will come. And they had just before. Love Evander Kane. And we talked about McGinn, by the way. He's on the first line with O'Reilly and Sam Reinhart. And it's been Evander Kane with Jack Eichel and Brian Gionta. The odd man out on Buffalo, by the way, is Matt Molson, who we thought going into the year had a chance to be someone and have a chance to finally play with some good players. He's not playing with good players because he's on the third line. And he's just been what we would have expected on the old Buffalo teams. He has 12 points in 29 games at this point. And since we're talking about players on hot streaks that are in nice, cushy lineup spots in their team, we have to mention Valerina Nichushkin. We already talked about him last week, and we were saying how he was on the top line on Dallas, but then he moved off of it, then he came back on, so we didn't want to bet too much on him because who knows how long he'll stay. But of course, then he had this amazing game against Carolina where he had a goal and two assists, and that led to a rush on him if he was still a free agent in your league. And in my Kakupful League, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, someone bid on him for $20 out of their $100 free agent acquisition budget. The next highest bid was me for $1, so I didn't get Valerie Nechushkin. But I did get Chris Kunitz as my backup bid, and he's been great as well, so it wasn't too bad. And Nechushkin, you know, I still don't know he played yesterday still on the top line against Philadelphia, didn't get any points. And the thing with him that concerns me is he doesn't take many shots on goal. He's just like 1, 2, or 0 in pretty much every game. 42 shots in 27 games overall on the season. But maybe we don't need to look at season numbers for Nachushkin. All we care about is what he's doing while he's on the top line. But even on that top line, not many shots. But it's hard to deny he had that great game against Carolina. He had a three-game point streak before that. So I guess... He's someone that you should add if he's a free agent, because why not? But I'm still not going too crazy about him, Brian. is it? Am I pulling a
1: Brian right now? Should I be getting more excited? I think maybe I'm the one more excited about Nutrushkin, because there is going to be that moment where he does finally stick on the top line. And you're wondering if this is it. I don't think Patrick Sharp playing on the top line is the ideal configuration for Dallas. I think they would rather have him on a second line, sort of trying to spread things out with their, say, experienced scorers. And Nichushkin, I actually saw in a rambling by Steve Laidlaw on Dauber Hockey earlier this week, Steve Laidlaw said it very well. He said, it's always better to be too early than to be too late. And I think... Now is the time, even though a lot of us have been too early on Nichushkin several times. Now I'm starting to think that he could very well stick. Lindy Ruff seems happy with what he's seeing from him, and that's, you know, seems to be hard to do to impress Lindy Ruff if you're Valerie Nichushkin. And if you look at his ice time, it's crept up. You know, he had 13 and 14 minutes for most of the season, he was even down to 11 and a 12 minute game as recently as like six games ago. And now he's like 17 minutes, 15 minutes, 17 minutes, 17 minutes. Those are all rounded numbers, of course. And his share of power play time is also going up. He seems to be earning more trust. He seems to be producing. I would say that he is going to get another couple games there to produce. If he doesn't, then he's in trouble again. But how hard can it be to produce in three games on that top line? I feel like you could slip and fall and get a secondary assist on a Jamie Benn or Tyler Sagan goal. Or John Klingberg, for that matter.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a great position to be in. And you're right. If he's a free agent, grab him. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to justify for myself that I should have bid $21 to get him. But I'm curious to see what will happen. Kunitz versus Nishushkin. That's the cage match in my head right now. And hey, Kunitz is on a nice stretch. And he's on the top power play. Nishushkin is only on the second power play. So take that, Nishushkin owners. It's getting personal
1: between... (laughs) This is getting personal, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we should probably move on. I want to talk about the Philadelphia Flyers crease right now, and specifically Michael Neuwerth, because... He has really come on lately and is looking like he may have taken over the job from Steve Mason, or at least is in the conversation as someone who's going to play 50% of the games. He's played in the last three games for Philadelphia. He relieved Mason after a bad start against the Islanders and ended the game letting in no goals. And in his last two games, he's played both of Philly's last two games after that and has had great performances in both 946 and 953 save percentages. Overall on the year, Michael Neuwirth has a 939 save percentage and compare that to Steve Mason, who's at 905 how can you not want Neuwirth in nets instead of Mason with numbers like that Brian just last week you mentioned Mason as one of the elite goalies but now I'm not sure if he's even going to be the number one on his team I think if Neuwirth is available in your league you have to grab him right now because he might be the starter a month from now
1: right so this past week I got called out on the Facebook group by another very intelligent Brian who had a bone to pick with me calling Mason elite. And just to clarify, I called him elite in a save percentage sense when it might've come across as like an all category fantasy elite monster because he just cannot pick up enough wins to be able to earn that sort of qualification. So his save percentage has been amongst the league leaders in the last few years, but his winning percentage, well, definitely not. That's not necessarily his fault and I don't hold that against him. However, this year maybe I can start holding it against him. He has picked up just 14 of a possible 32 points in games where he's taken the decision for the Flyers this year. while well, Neuverth has taken 16 out of a possible 26 points. So his points percentage right now is about 62%, while Mason's is down at about 44%. And that would be enough reason for a Philly team to think, well, maybe... Maybe we do start splitting time a little bit. And they'd have reason to do so, because it's not just the points totals. It's not like Mason is turning in sterling performances and just not getting offense to support him. He has a 9.05 save percentage this year, Elon. Like you said, he's given up almost three goals a game, while Neuvirth is just at exactly two goals against on average per game and has that really great save percentage that's bound to come down. But for now, it's really good, and you wonder if they should ride him. For what it's worth, the Flyers coach recently affirmed that Steve Mason is still Philadelphia's number one goalie, but you do have to wonder when that number one has a little A next to it.
0: Well, and what he says and what he does are two very different things because Neuwirth has played the last two games.
1: Yeah, and I imagine he's going to keep playing as long as they keep winning. If you're looking for a number three or four goalie for your team, Neuwerth could be available because nobody really expected him to be able to challenge Mason.
0: So it sounds like you agree with me that you should take Neuwirth if you can. What about if you're a Mason owner? Like, do you hang on? Or is it time to cut bait if, let's say, Mason is your third goalie? Who would you rather have if you could choose between the two of them right now?
1: I'd hold on to Mason. I think by the time the season is done, Mason will have played more games. His numbers might be similar to Neuwirth's, but I think he'll still be the Flyers' go-to guy in the long term. But in the short term, for sure, if you want to stream Neuwirth, get a few starts for as long as this lasts, go for it. Just keep in mind that the wins still might not necessarily come for him because he's still playing for a very poor team in Philadelphia.
0: All right, fair enough. Brian is the voice of reason, I guess. I'm getting excited about this recent stretch.
1: The wet blanket, in some people's opinions.
0: Yeah, well, just Mason's been so bad this season. People have been getting burned by him all year long. I guess if you have him, I would just bench him until he could fix this up. But I don't know. I don't know if I want to have Mason on my team if I have another option available. So, Brian, we still have a few more players we wanted to talk about today, but let's take a moment to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for supporting the show. This patron program has been so fun. We thank you so much for your support, and we thank all the patrons for being so active on the Facebook group. It's definitely the place to be. You just ask a question, and right away, you get a lot of responses and advice. I even ask questions myself for advice in my leagues, and I get a lot of help. Brian and I, of course, try to answer every single question. If you're not a patron of Keeping Carlson, and you like to get fantasy advice, which you must because you listen to this podcast, podcast give it a try sign up to be a patron keepingcarlson.com slash patron you could join our facebook group and you get to join our monthly patron casts and we have one coming this tuesday so you're going to be able to come on spreecast with all the other patrons ask brian and i questions just pepper us any questions you want to ask there's a chat room people are discussing answers it's like a lot of fun people also can upvote questions we'll answer anything you ask about fantasy hockey you can ask me about my personal life whatever you want to ask we'll be there it's going to be a lot of fun so that's patron cast this tuesday facebook group all the time KevinCarlson.com slash patron.
1: The patrons also have exclusive access to our t shirt at cost. It's a great stock. I don't know if it's a great stocking stuffer, actually. It just seems like the time of year to say that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. If you want to promote the show a little bit, support it. And Elon, I've actually been thinking about something. I haven't shared this with you yet, but I'm going to put it out there right now. What if somebody buys a shirt who's not a patron and they send us a picture of them wearing that shirt? what would you say to giving them a free month of patron facebook group and patron cast access
0: that's fine if anything just become a patron and get the shirt for like seven dollars less and you say better that way but if you want to go that direction of not becoming a patron but buying the shirt for 25 dollars instead of the 18 dollars, you could do that do whatever you want you could come and be a patron
1: <laughs> we need to put that on the site do whatever you want if you want to become a patron we really appreciate your support it of course means a lot to us and the more the merrier
0: yeah by the way that shirt is pretty cool cool. Check it out. Even if you don't want to buy the shirt, just check out the shirt. I think we have a funny little joke on the back. keepingcarlson.com (laughs) slash shirt. I said that so fast, keepingcarlson.com slash shirt. But let's get back to what we're supposed to be talking about, which is players that you might want to pick up for your fantasy teams, and then I guess also players that you may have on your teams that you might want to drop. Okay, Brian, let's go back and forth, a bit of a lightning round. I want to go back to Columbus. We started the show there talking about their goaltending, but there's been a lot of madness around their lines. There was a stretch where Brandon Saad went to the fourth line, Boone Jenner was on the third line, people were dropping these guys left and right. Now, things have gotten back to how they were a few weeks ago. We're back to Ryan Johansson, Brandon Saad, and Boone Jenner on the top line. We've got Dubinsky, Atkinson, and Calvert on the second line. Nick Foligno, poor Nick Foligno, and his owners. He's on the third line with Hartnell and Wenberg. Maybe that's the second line. Who even knows? At the end of the day, though, you are getting some production out of these Columbus players, especially Scott Hartnell and Nick Foligno, actually. They both have five points in their last six and seven games. Ryan Johansson is doing what he's been doing, and I think it's worth hanging on to Boone Jenner. I know he's been ice cold, only one goal in his last seven games, but that came in his last game, and like I Said he's back on the top line and he's getting all those hits so if you're in a league that counts hits he still has a lot of value and I think he's going to be able to get back to putting up points like he was before like he has 17 points in 30 games on the year which is pretty impressive considering he only has one point in his last eight games that just shows the pace he was on before he's been dropped like crazy in most leagues I would still hang on a bit longer so Brian I want to know your thoughts on that and also Brandon Saad who only has two points in his last seven games definitely a disappointment for people who were hoping for like a 60 point pace but do you think he can pick it up
1: yeah Jenner and Saad have slowed down. Although, you know, Jenner did have that huge burst and Saad really hasn't had that happen to him this season. He had a couple little runs, but nothing quite like what Jenner did. The good thing from both of them is that they both offer some kind of peripheral value. Boone offers his hits, and Sod offers, you know, about two and a half shots on goal per game, which is not like a huge above average amount, but it could be something good that can help you stay alive in some categories over the course of the week if Saad isn't producing on the actual score sheet. But let's go back to Nick Foligno for a second. Elon, you mentioned he's been on a good run, and if you look at the team's last 10 games he is actually their second leading scorer in that time with three goals and five assists for eight points in that span and we have not been very impressed with what we've seen from him so far this season all that work has brought him up to a half point per game pace and that just goes to show how miserable the first 20 games of the season were for him but if you look at his underlying numbers it's actually not as bad as you might expect he's actually got a higher shots per 60 rate than he has since coming to Columbus. His shot attempts are also higher than they have been in a while. If you're looking at them on a per 60 basis, this is all, of course, at even strength. But his shooting percentage and on-ice shooting percentage are both somewhat low. There is room for improvement. There is reason to believe that, you know, the five points or whatever that he scored in his first 20 games is not what to expect. Maybe not also eight points for every 10 games he plays, but maybe we can expect maybe six or seven for every 10 games he plays if he can stay on track and, of course, like there is a huge blender going on in Columbus as far as line combinations go. Where he ends up is going to impact him because there aren't a ton of places from which anyone can produce on Columbus. You really want to be on that top line to be able to get consistent points and if Felino is not figuring into that top line then you have to hope that he does get it together on the power play.
0: Yeah and maybe for a really deep cut maybe take a look at this Alex Winberg. He's actually on the top power player. He was in the last game with Ryan Johansson, Felino, and Scott Hartnell and he has 5. points points in his last 3 games. He had 2 assists against Philadelphia and 3 assists against Winnipeg. Probably not going to keep that up, but might be a good short-term add while this hot streak is going while he's on that top power play.
1: Yeah, he's been helped by that extra power play time and extra ice time. Like, he's actually seeing as many as six or seven more minutes than he was seeing in games back, you know, even at the start or in the middle of November. In his last five games, he's definitely on the rise in terms of ice time, and he could be someone to watch. Remember, Elam, we noticed him towards the end of last year. We were mentioning him in the same breath as Marco Dano. So he is somebody who could perhaps make an impact in this lineup. But again, it's just a little too thin to really count on consistent production from more than three or four guys at a time.
0: And yeah, this definitely seems seems like the episode where we're just talking about teams and their clumps of players doing well and how can we not mention the Winnipeg Jets and especially that second line you know everyone wants to talk always about Wheeler and Ladd and Little and they're doing great don't get me wrong but I want to zoom in on the second line Perot, Shifley and Stafford they all had that huge game against Columbus Perot had four points Shifley a goal and assist and five shots Stafford had a goal and two assists and four shots and you know Mark Shifley probably owned in your league and we probably should even give him more credit than we have. He's been amazing this year. He has 19 points in 30 games, and he's taking a good number of shots, almost three shots per game on average. But guys like Perot and Stafford, you know, perot has been a podcast favorite for a few years now, but he's sneakily putting up great production, just like he did last year when we got excited about him. He has eight points in his last seven games overall, and then Stafford has five points in his last seven. How would you rank these three, Brian? And let's say for Stafford, if he's available in your league, would you go for him? I know that you've always been unsure about him. He wasn't even in the top six for a while. Ailers was the guy in that spot but Ehlers has been bumped he's a snoozer by the way if you still have him and I'm curious to know your thoughts on Stafford and those others
1: yeah Nick Ehlers is definitely snoozing right now he is off the second line Drew Stafford is making the most of an opportunity as long as he sticks on that second line I have some interest in him more than a passing interest more than I have in the past I remember when he came to Winnipeg Elon you and I were sort of at odds about how much of an impact he'd be able to make and he was hot and cold but seemed capable of making some sort of contribution to the 0 it's good to see him there. The guy I really want to key in on is Matthew Perot, who has had like, I feel like a season where he has been added and dropped. If you add both of those together, maybe more than any other player this season. And I think a big reason for that is probably because there was a 13 game stretch that went pretty much through November where he was on the score sheet only three times. He had just six points in those 13 games. And a lot of people soured. They thought, well, what, what do I have this guy for? If he's just going to be a half point per game, there's definitely better options in my free agent list But aside from like, you know, inside that stretch, he had a five-game pointless drought and a four-game pointless drought. Outside of those, he's been a pretty consistent scorer. And that might be a bit of a ridiculous thing to say. Aside from the times where he's been inconsistent, he's been very consistent. But I think, same as Stafford, he's in a position right now where he can consistently produce, where he is seeing opportunity to score. And he's got two good line mates. And I think all three of those guys definitely have something to play for. Neither one of them wants to get bumped down to the third line. Ehlers is, I still think, lurking back there but like we said not really rosterable until he makes it back up there for now i'd be happy to own any of that trio
0: yeah and the extra bonus about matthew perot over the other two is he's on the top power play with wheeler lad and little so if you need power play points maybe perot is the guy you want to have out of them i'd still want shifley just because of all of his shots on goal and since we're talking about winnipeg we have to have to mention dustin bufflin he also has eight points in his last seven games he's been insane as a defenseman you know you can't do much better than dustin bufflin he gives you shots he gives you points he gives you hits he's awesome I've been hearing his name come up in trade talks Brian I guess I'm too into fantasy hockey because I hear talks about how he might get traded to the Islanders for Travis Hamanich and it's like why would anyone want like if this was a fantasy question I got should I trade Bufflin for Hamanich I'd be like what are you crazy but I guess there must be some intangibles there
1: yeah that does seem crazy from a fantasy perspective I I don't pay attention to many of the rumors just because a lot of them never amount to anything and it gets me all in a tizzy to think about the fantasy impact of them right now Bufflin Flynn is doing very well for the Jets, and Hemanik is doing okay for the Islanders. Elon, I thought you were going to say, of course, we need to address Connor Hellebuck, see how he's doing so far. He has started the last two games for Winnipeg, actually, a back-to-back, and interestingly enough... The first end of that back-to-back was poor for him. The second half was much stronger. He has had five starts so far this season. Four of them have been quality and actually above, far above the mark necessary to register a quality start. He's doing pretty well. 1.79 goals against average, 938 save percentage in five games of NHL action so far this season.
0: Yeah, and you know what I will say, Brian, that game against Columbus, the one you say, the one bad start, he got the win there. It was a crazy game. And I was watching and Hellebuck was actually doing really well. Like those last couple of goals by Columbus, he was left out to dry. It was like on a power play. He had made a lot of good saves before letting in the goal. So I know fantasy-wise, it doesn't really matter. But I still think he's good. Too bad he couldn't get the win yesterday against Chicago. Too bad Winnipeg couldn't score any goals. I still really like Connor Hellebuck. And I'm excited about how they gave him two starts in a row.
1: Yeah, Michael Hutchinson has started just one of the last five games for Winnipeg not looking good for him it was a good start though so perhaps he'll get a couple more turns in the net I don't know how balanced the situation is going to be between the two goalies but I'm still thinking that there is a chance they could split time though right now it might seem to be favoring Helibuck
0: okay let's go to the other side of things now I want to talk a player who is slumping and you know slumping is a relative term because here's someone Evgeny Kuznetsov who has 27 points in 27 games on the year which is insane but I want to talk about is he actually Actually worth that much because he actually only has one assist in his last five games and at the end of the day he's the second line center on Washington and he's on the second power play so people treating him as if he's you know a point-per-game player because that's what he's been so far and he was even more than that before these five games I just wonder if maybe they're valuing him a bit higher than he should be like he's obviously an amazing player and he's having an amazing season but I wonder if it might be time to sell him for someone who actually is a top line top power play potential point per game player while you still can because to me it seems more like he's in a situation where maybe he could hit like 65 maybe 70 points that would be amazing because I don't expect this point per game pace to last there's actually a patron of ours who was asking if he should trade Kuznetsov for Andrzej Kopitar and you know what Brian I think I would take that deal even though Kopitar only has 17 points in 28 games on the year he He's got six points in his last six games. He's doing well. He's top line, top power play. To me, he just seems like a more sure thing.
1: Yeah, that was my rationale in the group when the question was asked. I feel like Kuznetsov has a bit more like a lottery ticket Look, Tim, you can hope that he keeps this up. And he's been producing in a really awkward way for fantasy owners, maybe a frustrating way, especially now that there have been a few zeros in a row from him. He has only hit the score sheet in 14 of his 27 games played. But each time he hits the score sheet, he scores an average of just less than two points per game. So it's a weird sort of thing to have to consider. But if you look at his shooting percentage, it's definitely higher than you'd say for even like a pretty decent shooting average forward. His on-ice shooting percentage is a touch higher than it should be. There are a few reasons to think that Kuznetsov might come down. We were concerned of what would happen when he would get sent down, so to speak, to the second line, but he did do all right in that situation for a little while. I still think he's a guy who can drive his own offense. I do think it might be feast or famine for the rest of the year, though, and that's stressful for a lot of fantasy owners. So if that might stress you out, then maybe now would be a good time to sell high on him. Of course, if you try, I'm sure a lot of people will look at him his last five games and see just the one assist in there. So hopefully he can go on another little run in the near future that'll boost his value enough for you to get the return that you're looking for for him. In the meantime, if he is on your roster, he still has 13 shots in his last three games, which is nothing to sneeze at at all. In fact, that is way above the rate that he's been shooting at over the course of the season as a whole. So that is one silver lining for Evgeny Kuznetsov.
0: And Brian, you know what? Breaking news. Breaking for us, by the time you're listening to this podcast, you already know this. I see now the Pittsburgh Penguins have fired their coach. Mike Johnson is fired. Mike Sullivan is named as the replacement. So, how about that?
1: Wow. So, that whole rant we went on at the beginning of the show about how the coaching doesn't seem to be matching the personnel and not choosing the right personnel. For you all, this was like 30 minutes ago. In edited time, it was like two hours ago. <laughs> but there you have it. I'm glad I got that out while it was still just barely relevant. Congratulations to the Pittsburgh Penguins to hopefully turning their season around. This is great news for owners of any Penguins forward, for sure. Also, now is definitely a time where you might want to keep an eye on Derek Pugliot, see if he does get the call, and if Clendenning can also draw into the lineup with a new coach in place.
0: Yeah, it also... Again, I already said it about Hornqvist, but now especially, if Hornqvist was dropped in your league, maybe now's the time to take a flyer. Maybe he gets back on the top six playing with Crosby. It's exciting. I'm curious to see what's going to happen, especially with Hornqvist because I own him. But I guess overall, there's only going to be six spots in that top six. I'm curious how it'll change now that there's a coaching change. Now I'm wondering if maybe Chris Kunitz will lose his spot. (laughs) Okay, so we'll have to see what happens. We'll definitely talk about this in the next episode, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this in the Patron cast in a couple of days. Brian, we were talking about Kuznetsov slumping. Here's another guy slumping who is a top line, top power play guy. I wonder if someone maybe you could trade because that's not far. Maybe it would be too crazy. But can I just mention John Tavares? This is a guy who was probably pick number one in a lot of your fantasy leagues. But he actually only has two points in his last seven games. Two goals. He's gone really cold. I for sure have no doubt that he's going to bounce back. We just got a tweet about him. That's what actually got me to notice that he's on this bit of a cold streak. If you could buy low... At this point, I would definitely go for it. I don't know if you can.
1: Really hard to buy low on a superstar because so many people have invested so much in him if they have him on their team. Definitely an unfortunate little run for him. But I don't think anyone has any reason to be concerned about what's to come for John Tavares. Also, Elon, like, I got super excited about that coaching change. And I know this must be all really weird for the listeners since it's just so fresh for us and it won't be by the time this comes out. But I also just want to point out, like I said, it's really exciting for every owner of a Pittsburgh Penguin forward, but they still have that blue line to figure out and work through. They still have a super weak decor, and so nothing is going to come automatically, but hopefully, a fresh face in there is going to fix it. Sorry, Elon Tavares. So as- goodbye low candidate if you can good luck with that
0: yeah brian move on this pittsburgh coaching change old news it's already <laughs> been five minutes one thing we have to mention before we close out the show by the way we've been talking about some of these line changes like we talked about in columbus how it was shuffling all around maybe a team shuffling even more than columbus is the montreal canadians lately ever since brandon gallagher got injured they just haven't been able to figure out what they want to do with their top six we've been seeing guys like sven andregetto Getting a decent opportunity. Daniel Carr is on the third line. He got called up playing with DeHarnay and Fleischman. Dale Weiss. Right now, it's looking like Galchenyuk, Pacioretty, and Dale Weiss. So once again, Dale Weiss. Is everyone going to rush to pick him up? I wouldn't advise it. Brian like what do people do looking at these Montreal Lions it seems like you can't rely on anything you can't just be like oh this guy's playing with patch ready. I should grab him because it might change the next game but is there anyone who you see in all of this churn that potentially could have some value up until Gallagher comes back
1: no I don't think so and I feel like actually this whole flux and churn was necessitated by a drop-off in the guys who were producing unsustainably for the first chunk of the season if we look at the familiar names from their runs early on I mean Sven Andraghetto doesn't really count but he has four points in his last nine games. Devontae Smith-Pelly has played just six of the team's last 10 games played, has three points in them. Dale Weiss has three in his last 10. David Deharney has three in his last 10. Andre Markov who actually we should expect a little more from going forward. But he's having a rough time It's just three in his last 10 as well. So a lot of the Canadians' surprising scoring has taken a step back. And that's probably why they're trying to shuffle things around. Right now, it's kind of weird. There isn't necessarily a first line. I guess it would be Galchenyuk moving to center with Pacioretty and Weis on his wings. But Plakennitz is a fantastic first line center. And right now, he has Eller and Paul Byron on his wings. And actually, Byron has registered a little bit on the radar recently, with as much production as those guys that I just mentioned like Weis and Deharney. Right now, the only Habs you seem to be able to count on are Subban, Galchenyuk, Plakenet, and Pacioretty. Aside from that, I'm not looking at too many other options on the roster. I'd throw Markov in there. It's just been a little bit of a rough spell for him.
0: Yeah, and you know, when Gallagher went down, we said this would be a good time to have Galchenyuk. He'd get a short-term boost, and yeah, he has five points in his last seven games. Not too shabby even though the team is kind of slumping overall. But definitely, Montreal needs to get Gallagher back and Carey Price of course to be able to get back to this amazing start that they had and being one of the elite teams like probably also we have to mention Mike Condon is not having the same run that he had at first when Price got injured the first time we were thinking you definitely want to have Condon because he's the default starting goalie now on a really good team but anyone who picked him up is probably pretty disappointed in his last three starts he's had no wins and less than 900 save percentage in all three of them so I don't know I feel like at this point if you have Mike Condon and there's a decent free agent goalie available like considering the fact that price is going to come back and knock him off regardless and if he's not even really helping you now it's even worth holding on to
1: you know you still might get wins from him but you're gonna have a hard time winning your save percentage category with a guy who's essentially been a 900 goalie in his last 14 games since the start of november he had three really strong games to start a season in october had a couple more dotted throughout the last couple months But it's not enough to give him a respectable save percentage overall. Now, even with such a poor save percentage, his goals against is still decent. It's still like under two and a half goals in that stretch where he's been a 900 goalie. So that's, I suppose, a positive thing for some of his owners. But I believe his sell-high window has probably shut I hope you didn't buy too high on Mike Condon. And the Habs and Price owners are really just counting down the days until Carey Price can come back. Of course, we should mention Dustin Tukarski got a turn in net recently. He did not have a very good game. He had an 881 save percentage, stopping 37 of 42 shots, though, against Detroit the other night. And he's also going to get another start, it looks like, tonight against the Ottawa Senators at home. So we'll see what he can do with that.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be picking up Tukarski for a spot start tonight against the offensively charged Ottawa Senators led by Eric Carlson. That was so cool what you just did. Are you making fun? You know, by the way, at the patron cast, I'm going to be showing off my brand new Eric Carlson hat that I got. So I'm pretty excited about that.
1: How'd you get that hat?
0: A friend got it for me. Okay. Brian. It was me. It was you. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) I'll pay you back. So... We've got to close out the show. This has been a lot of fun. There's still, like, some things I wanted to mention. I'm just going to say some things without us commenting on it. Martin Hansel's injured again, like always. You know what? If you could stash him in your IR, I would do it, because I think while he plays, he's good. He's cooled off a little bit, but he's still, like, top line, and has been a consistent 60-point pace player when he plays, but he always gets injured, which is frustrating. But if you could stash him now, it's pretty rare, actually. I remember owning Hansel in previous years, and he would get injured and just be day-to-day forever, so it's actually surprising that Arizona did this favor and put him on the IR. So, yeah, I would stash Hansel.
1: Before we leave Arizona, Elon, I've got a snoozer to put out there, and his name is Anthony Duclair. In his last eight games, he has taken just five shots on goal and registered just one assist. His ice time in his last two games has even been trending downwards. He was getting like 16 to 18 minutes a night for a while. Recently, he's had a game where he saw 11 minutes and another game where he saw 14 minutes. Maybe not like significant worrisome drops. He's still playing top six minutes for sure in Arizona and will be for the rest of the season but the points just aren't coming and you know like you think if maybe he shot a little bit more he might see success because his shooting percentage this season is still at 24 percent at this point that super hot start that he had essentially amounts to half a point per game 15 points in 29 games played this season don't be snoozing for too much longer on Anthony Duclair
0: yeah well I remember back at the start when Arizona was having all of those exciting players having breakouts. Duclair was the one that I was most concerned about because he was getting the lowest ice time. And, you know, now Max Domi is still great. Tobias Ryder's actually had a bit of a drop off. He only has four points in his last eight games, but I still would like both of those guys over Duclair. And okay, since we're on Arizona, I guess we already were on them before when we talked about their goaltending, but Michael Bodker, Brian, do you still feel the same way about him? I know before you said that he's the kind of guy who will give you points, like, in bunches, kind of what you said about Kuznetsov. He had two goals yesterday against Minnesota, bringing him him up to 22 points in 29 games on the year. I think last time we talked about Bodker, you weren't too high on him. You said not to get too, too excited. Have you changed your mind at all about him?
1: Yeah, and he was another guy who popped up on everyone's radar after producing somewhat steadily throughout the whole season and then registering a hat trick about a week ago against Ottawa. He's been doing pretty well lately. 22 points, like you said, Elon. That's the same amount as, say, Kyle Poso has this season. So I don't feel like he's free agent fodder at this point. I feel like you can add him, even if you just think you're going to stream him. Go for it.